Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. So my father-in-law, my in-laws live down in Des Moines, and probably once or twice a month, my father-in-law, Gary, drives up and spends the day with Natalie and the kids, and it's, it's a blast. They love it. Uh, but one of the mistakes that my father-in-law made, I don't know if it was a mistake, it was just a good grandpa moment, but about two or three times in a row, he brought them donuts. And so now, every single time that Gary comes up, my kids ask the exact same question. Is he bringing donuts? So this Thursday, we're sitting at the breakfast table, and Natalie tells the kids, she goes, hey, guess what? Grandpa's coming up today. And just like every other time, the very first thing that comes out of their mouth, is he bringing donuts? It's not like, oh, this is going to be so fun. What are we going to do with Grandpa? Or what are we going to play? Or any of that. It's just, is he bringing donuts? That is for sure the biggest concern of my kids' life. We come to church every week, same question. It's not, what are we doing in class? It's, Dad, are we having donuts today? That's all they care about. Jack, his favorite things in life are pizza, donuts, and Mountain Dew. We are terrible parents. <laughs> Actually, I'm a terrible dad. I'm not going to blame Natalie on that. Jack, he's, he's not even three yet, and he loves Mountain Dew. I am so sorry, world. I don't give him full cans, just like 11 of the 12 ounces. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It's like, Jack, so we have this thing, he can have one drink of any pop that I have, so he just takes one drink. Well, last week he started chugging it, and I was like, okay, buddy, like, I will give you two sips if that keeps you from chugging Mountain Dew. Teenage years are going to be incredible. Video games, it's like, this is why I'm so happy to have a son. All of my favorite things, pizza, Mountain Dew, donuts, let's go, Jack, let's have some fun. So this is like all they care about. Thursday morning, is grandpa going to bring donuts? And so we're coaching them, we're like, guys, guys. When grandpa comes in the door, the first thing you say to him can't be, where's the donuts? That has happened. And it like, you know, makes it a really awkward day because there's no donuts. So we're like, Jack, if you don't see any donuts, just don't mention donuts at all. And he's like, well, can I ask, can we have donuts? I'm like, no, just don't mention the donuts. We will figure out the donuts later, man. And so we get up, we have kind of a big window that overlooks the street in front of our house. They're perched up on the couch watching. And sure enough, Gary pulls in. And before he even opens his door to get out, he just lifts up a Casey's box of donuts. <laughs> Immediate cheers for everybody. Everyone was stoked. Donuts are here. So he comes in, we eat donuts, and it's great. But you can immediately tell what their biggest concern is, right? And there's kind of as cute and fun as that story is, there's a principle here for us all. You can tell a lot about someone by what they worry about, right? It's so obvious what my kids see as most important. Not that grandpa is coming, not that we're going to church, is their donuts. It's just obvious that is their biggest concern. And that's a principle for us, right? What you worry about reveals something about your life. What you worry about reveals what your priorities are. It reveals what you see as most important. So this morning, Jesus is addressing worry. And we just heard, as I read that, that command, don't worry about your life. And so from that, we're going to see him unpack four antidotes to worry. Four things that if we can embrace these, we are going to be able to live free from worry. And if you, uh, maybe your Bible has this reference right there at the beginning of that section. Most of our Bibles say something along the lines of the cure for anxiety going into this section. Jesus is going to unpack how we can live free 
from worry. And the point that we're going to come back to over and over again this morning is very simple. Your worry reveals your priorities. And if you're going to live free from worry, you have to see what your worry reveals. Now, before we dive in and unpack what these antidotes are, a couple clarifications on the front end. So first, here's the definition that I'm going to be working with for worry. Uh, There's a biblical scholar named Dick France, and the definition he gives is very simple. He says, worry is over-concern. Very simple definition of worry, but very helpful. Over-concern. That is what worry is. It's having over-concern about the things in this world or this life. Now, that's helpful because there is a healthy way to be concerned about what's happening, right? We can have concern. The Bible calls us to be wise and to be prudent and to plan, but it crosses the line into worry when it's over-concern. So that's a very simple but helpful definition, over-concern. Now, two other things to clarify. The first, like I said, there's a time and place to plan. Uh, There's a time and place to work hard. Jesus is not telling us to be passive, to be lazy, just to not uh, think about prudently our lives at all. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is I wanna also acknowledge that there are many of you in this room that the complexities of your anxiety actually go beyond what Jesus, like simple kind of spiritual realm, but there's actually complexities in your emotional health, your mental health, there's physical things going on. And our church, our elder team acknowledges that there's complexities like that. That's why we started Candeo Counseling with licensed therapists that can help you navigate all the nuances and complexities and dynamics of your mental health situation. So I want to say that on the front end because Jesus is going to give these spiritual solutions to your worry. But we also want to acknowledge that for some of you to be healthy and whole when it comes to anxiety and worry doesn't just need a simple spiritual truth, but there's actually other dynamics happening. Now, that being said, don't check out of this sermon because if you're going to be whole, if you're going to walk in health, you not only need to address the mental aspects of your anxiety, the emotional aspects, but there's also the spiritual work that needs to happen. So that being said, how does Jesus prescribe these antidotes for our worry? How does he give us this cure? Well, the first antidote for worry is in verse 25. Now, the way we're going to see these is Jesus is going to kind of ask this almost rhetorical question. And inside that rhetorical question is going to be these four antidotes. So here's the first one we see. Verse 25 says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So right there in that, in that rhetorical question, that's the first antidote. Isn't your life more than food and your body more than clothing? What principle is Jesus drawing out there? Well, he's saying that when we worry, we forget what life is really about. In the moment of worry, we are seeing our life as the substance of our life being the object of our worry. That's what life is about. So when I worry about my job, that is what life is. That's the real substance of life. I'm forgetting that life is more than food, that the body is more than clothing. So the first antidote's this. When you worry, you lose sight of what your life is about. Whatever you are worrying about, your life is more than that thing. Your life is more than who you date. Your life is more than 
where you live or what job you have. It's more than anything you might worry about. Now, why? Why is that true? Well, think about what your life is about, right? Think about what your ultimate purpose in life is. God tells us in Isaiah 43, 7, that he created you for his glory. That's your purpose. That is what your life is really about, to glorify God by enjoying relationship with him. You were created in his image to be a reflection of his glory. You were created to enjoy a relationship with him and in that relationship that God would be glorified, that people in your life would get a glimpse of the glory of God. That's the, perp- that's the substance of your life, to glorify God. But when we worry, we're saying this other thing, that is what my life is about. Clothing, food, And Jesus is saying, when you worry, you forget what your life is about. The life is more than food. It's more than clothing. That's the first antidote. What's the second? Well, verse 26 gives us the second. Here's what he says. He says this, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And the question, there's the, the second antidote. Aren't you worth more than they? What's antidote two? When you worry, you forget your worth. If antidote one was when you worry, you lose sight of what your life is about, antidote two is when you worry, you forget your worth. What's he saying? He's saying, look at the birds of the sky. Look at sparrows. Look at how your father feeds them. And the argument he's making is very simple. Aren't you worth more than them? Aren't you worth more than birds? Aren't you worth more than sparrows? But in the moment of worry, we lose sight of that. Now, side note. Earlier, I just said that the, the solution to worry is not just being lazy or passive, right? How do, have you ever watched a bird build a nest? They're active, they're working. And yet, at the end of the day, it's God who's providing for them. So Jesus is not saying the solution to your worry is just to do nothing, to just completely chill out and have no regard for this life at all. He's just, he's saying your life is worth more than these birds. And even in our activity, there's a way to trust him. So here's what he's saying. If you are going to be free from worry, you have to remember the value you have in the eyes of God. Now, what value is that? What is, how does God see you? Well, Romans 8.32 says it immediately. God says, it says, Paul says, he did not spare even his own son. How much more will he not with him grant us everything? That's the value that you have in the eyes of God. Paul is saying, who can be against us if God is for us? He did not even spare his own son. How will he not also with him grant us everything? The greatest threat that ever faced you and I was the threat of our sin and death. And the greatest value statement God could ever make is taking care of that by sending his own son. Jesus isn't saying there aren't other threats in your life, but what he's saying is there's no greater threat than sin and death, and God took care of that at the greatest sacrifice possible. He did not even spare his own son. That's how valuable you are to God. If God would do that for you, won't he grant us everything in him? 
Isn't there no other threat that he won't be with you in? That's the second antidote. Remember your worth. Here's the third antidote, verse 27. It says this, Can any of you add one moment of his lifespan by worrying? The third antidote is worrying does nothing. That's the third antidote. It, it doesn't do anything. It's impractical. It's a waste of time. What does worrying do? What has you having an over-concern for the things of this world ever done? It has, never, has it a- ever added a moment to your life? Can you add days to your life? And Jesus is saying no. Now, like I said, the Bible encourages us to be wise and prudent and to make plans, but to hold those loosely and trust God, not to be plagued by over-concern for the things that have yet to happen. Why? Because worrying doesn't do anything. That's what he's saying. This is the third antidote. When we worry, we're forgetting that this isn't achieving anything. You're forgetting that it doesn't do anything. It's a waste of time. My wife, Natalie, she was in connection group her freshman year at Iowa State, and she said that her leader said one of the most profound things ever about worrying. Her leader said that worrying causes twice the amount of suffering. She said, if you worry, and then the event you're worried about does happen, you not only suffer when the event happens, but you also suffer during the worrying before the event happened. And then she said, if you're worrying and the event doesn't happen, well, then you suffered needlessly. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything. And this is Jesus' third antidote. When we worry, we forget that it doesn't do anything. It doesn't add any time to our life. Now, here's the fourth antidote. It's summed up in these three verses next, 28 through 30. Here's what it says. It says, And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Now, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? What's the fourth antidote? Well, follow the pattern that we've been seeing through this section. Where's the rhetorical question? It's in verse 30, right? Read that again. It says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? Where's the antidote in that? It's that God provides, right? Do you see that argument? He says, look at the wild, look at the grass of the field. That's how he clothes the grass here today, gone tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you? God provides, remembering that God provides is the fourth antidote to worry. Now think about this illustration of grass. Grass was common, it was insignificant, it was abundant, it was often used for fuel for them, that's why he says it's thrown into the furnace. But not only that, in the Jewish mind, grass was often used as a metaphor for human frailty. And so in uh, Psalm 37, 2, it says that gra- it withers like grass. This is a very common illustration of something that is just frail and withers, that is common, kind of insignificant, used for fuel. And so in the Jewish mind, this was an example of something that was just discarded in nothing. And what's he saying? He's saying, if God clothes the grass, which is here today, gone tomorrow, 
something that represents just frail withering. If God would provide that for grass, how much more for you? God provides. Now, not only does he provide for our basic needs, look back at verse 28. He says this. He says, why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. It's not just that we have this really pragmatic, utilitarian, basic needs met from God. It's that we, that God is adorning the wildflowers of the field, the grass, in the splendor. It's like this lavish provision, right? He compares it to not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like these. Solomon was the third king of Israel, regarded by many as the richest, most, the richest king brought about the most flourishing, peaceful times in the nation of Israel. If you read his accounts, there's just, it's ex- extravagant what he was experiencing, and God, Jesus is saying not, not even Solomon was adorned like these wildflowers of the field. God is lavishly clothing the field more than Solomon. Something that's here today and gone tomorrow. God doesn't just meet our needs. There's this lavish provision. He doesn't just do the bare minimum to sustain the life of grass and fields. He adorns them. So when we worry, we forget God's goodness, his provision, his blessing. We forget that he provides not just our bare minimum needs, but way beyond our bare minimum needs. And Jesus is saying, your life is so much more permanent than grass. Won't God provide for you? Now, these are the four antidotes. The four antidotes to worry. When you worry, you forget the value of your life. When you worry, you forget what your life is. When you worry, you forget that it doesn't accomplish anything. And when you worry, you forget that God will provide for you. And when we worry, we're living and acting as if these four principles aren't true. But here's the deal, right? You hear me read these, you hear me go through each of these. And if you're a worrier, here's probably what you're thinking at this point. I know all of these. These, these, Stephen, you haven't said anything I didn't know. In one way or another, someone has told me, life isn't about that thing. I'm valuable before God. Worrying doesn't do anything. God provides. Those are things that I have heard. But I still worry. How, how is this a solution when I've known these things, but I still find myself worrying? How do I stop? How do I get these truths, these antidotes to actually help me not to worry? Now, Jesus is going to give us the key in the next section. And if we're going to be free from worry and actually experience these antidotes, we've got to see the fundamental shift that Jesus is describing that needs to take place in our life. Look at verse 31. It says this, So don't worry, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Here's what Jesus is describing. A fundamental shift in your life. You worry and worry and worry, and maybe you know these four truths, but it doesn't seem like it changes anything. Why? 
Well, imagine this. Imagine uh, someone came up to you and said, hey, I've been taking these multivitamins every day, once a day for men or whatever that's called. I don't take it clearly, but whatever that multivitamin is called, I take that every day and I've been taking it for months and months and months, but it hasn't done anything in my life yet. And you say, okay, well, let me like try to help you figure out why these multivitamins aren't having the effect that you thought they would. How much do you sleep? Not much. Do you eat good? Not at all. Pizza, donuts, and Mountain Dew. Sorry, Jack. His vitamins are doing nothing. They're like little gummy bear things. They are so tasty, but not doing much, apparently. What do you eat? Mountain Dew, donuts, pizza. Okay. How often do you exercise? Never. I, do I need to connect these dots for you? Like, clearly a multivitamin is not going to be able to overcome the terrible health habits in your life. If you're going to enjoy the benefits of this multivitamin, you've got to have a fundamental shift in your life. Otherwise, these multivitamins aren't going to do anything. Here's what we're going to see. As important as the truths that we just outlined are, as much as they have the, God's word has the power to change our life, for many of us, we're treating those truths as little multivitamins when the fundamental orientation of our life is not verse 33. Look back. Here's what we're going to see. If you're going to be free from worry, there needs to be a fundamental shift. Yes, you need to know these, these antidotes, but you also need to have a reorientation of what your priority is. What's the priority he's describing in 31? Well, he says, don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. He's saying that there is priorities in this world, the Gentiles, that represents the rest of the world, people who aren't in the kingdom of God. There are things that the, this world sets their priority on. And in, unless you have a fundamental shift from those to something else, you are going to continue to be plagued by worrying. So what needs to happen? Well, there needs to be a shift from the priority of your life being the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. The priority of your life being the things of this world that are temporary to the eternal things of God. And unless that shift takes place, you will always worry. So very simply, we have to shift from ultimately seeking the things in this world to seeking the things of the world to come. So let's start with what we need to shift from. So what do we need to shift from? Well, we just read it in 31 and 32. The things that this world say your life is about. The things that this world says should be the priority of your life. So Jesus is saying these, these things, the Gentiles, the world, these are what the world eagerly seeks. They're the top priority of the world, food, drink, clothing. And Jesus isn't condemning these things outright. He just says, your heavenly father knows you need them. There's a legitimacy to wanting these, to needing these. But what was the problem? It's this is the focus of the world. This is the focus of their lives. And, and he's saying, you wonder why you're plagued with worry? It's not so much that you've forgotten that God provides. It's that you're right alongside the world and eagerly seeking all these things. These four antidotes haven't done what they are intended to do because you're treating them like multivitamins when there hasn't been a fundamental shift in the priority of your life. Let me ask you this. What do you worry about most? 
because your worry is revealing your top priority. The greatest concern for Jack on Thursday, does grandpa have donuts? That revealed the priority of his life. And unless you identify what your priority is, you won't be free from worry. Do you have an over-concern about your children? You're just paralyzed and gripped by the fear of how they're going to turn out. Not so much because you want them to be functioning adults, but more because it will be a forever reflection on how you succeeded as a parent. An over-concern about having an interesting life. Why is it, if you're under the age of 40, that on average you change jobs every two and a half years? There's probably a lot of factors that go into that, but I can't help but think that one of the reasons why so many college students are paralyzed in choosing a major is because they just want an interesting job. Why do you skip your 10, 15, 20-year class reunion? I don't wanna tell them what I do. It's boring, it's uninteresting. And the reason why you're so worried about your career or so worried about your job, it might be that you want an exciting, interesting life. And the thought of having a boring, mundane life paralyzes you with fear. Do you have an over-concern for your health? You're trying to bring a sense of control and security in your life by being as healthy as you possibly can be. You're crippled by the thought of going through some illness or disease, something physically painful. Do you worry constantly about the interactions you had with other people? How often do you find yourself replaying conversations you had? Because you're paralyzed by the, fe the fear of what people think about you. What do you worry about? What you worry about reveals the priority of your life. And it's one thing to know that God provides. It's one thing to know what your life should be about. It's one thing to know your value. It's one thing to know worry doesn't accomplish anything. But until there's a shift in the fundamental priority of your life, those will be like multivitamins for someone who has bad health. Knowing your value before God isn't gonna do much to remove worry when your highest priority in life is to make it through life as comfortable as possible. Knowing worry doesn't do anything isn't gonna change much when you're paralyzed by the thought that your life might be boring. Knowing what your life is really about isn't gonna do much when every day you operate as if your career is what your life is about. Your life is made up in your accomplishments. Worry reveals priorities. So what are your priorities? And until there's a shift away from prioritizing what the world prioritizes, you will be plagued by worry. So what do we shift Two. If that's what we shift away from, what do we shift to? We'll look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. This is the priority we are to have in life. This is what is ultimate to us as kingdom people, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to shift away from the temporary to the eternal, not seeking after the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom that is to come. Now, why is that shift so important? How does that shift free, begin to free us more and more from worry? Well, the first thing that shift does is it shifts our perspective. 
One of the most interesting fights in our house right now is who gets which popper. You know those like, it's like an animal and it could be anything, but it's like just these little bubbles that kids pop and then you flip it over and you pop them back. I don't know how people, like who the scientists are working on fidget things, but they are brilliant because I would have never thought that those poppers would be as popular as they are, but they are. And apparently there's a huge difference between getting to do the popper duck and the popper shark. That's a big difference between Isla and Jack. Now, why is that example so silly to us? Why is that example, why are the things that your kids fight over at your house so silly and insignificant to you as an adult? It's because you have a new perspective. Do you realize that there will be a day when the things that you are most worked up right now will feel as silly as fighting over the duck or shark popper? When you've stood in the presence of God for eight million years, where should I live? What should I do for a job? Those will feel as silly as a pauper. There's a perspective shift when we begin to prioritize seeking first the kingdom of God. It begins to reprioritize the things that we see significant. And even though those things that we're worried about might be a real need, they get put into their proper perspective when we have an eternal lens on this life. Seeking first the kingdom changes your perspective. And then as you begin to see this world through eternal lenses, it begins to change what you prioritize. It begins to change what you give your time to. You begin to make investments into things that last for an eternity. Your own personal holiness, seeing others come to faith, seeing people discipled to resemble Christ. You begin to invest your energy, your time, your resources into things that have eternal impact. And when you begin to have an eternal perspective, you begin to embrace that that is your new priority. You know what happens when you begin to live for eternity? the worries of this life begin to fade. You begin to see them through the lens of being with Christ for eight million years. And you know what happens when that begins to be the life that we live? Well, we'll find that all these things are provided for you. Now, that doesn't mean that every single, like the trick to trick God is you stop worrying about that and then he'll provide it. No, but what you'll begin to realize is that the, the legitimate needs that you have in your life, God will provide. When you begin to have an eternal perspective on this life, so why are you still plagued by worry? It's because the priority of your life is still on the things of this world. And until you shift the priority from seeking first the things of this world to seeking first the kingdom, you will never be free from worry. Now, what's the result of all of this? We'll look at 34. It says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. The result is being at peace to just focus on today. It's enough to try to ask how today could I do something that has an eternal impact, right? That's a large enough task. It's enough to try to navigate the concerns of today without being over-concerned about the problems for tomorrow. So I was at a retreat a few years ago, and 
kind of a similar sermon, similar story, and here's where uh, the lead pastor down at Veritas ended. He told a story about one of his interactions with his oldest kids. So his oldest son was going through a spell um, where he was just worried a lot at night, just really scared, terrified. And so Jake each began playing a game called And Then What with his son. And the way this game worked is his oldest son would get in bed and he would eventually say something like, Dad, I'm just so scared. And Jake would say, well, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm just so scared that we forgot to lock the doors. So Jake would then ask, and then what? Like, he's like, I'm afraid we locked the doors. Well, and then what would happen? Well, someone might break in. And then what? Well, they might come in my room. And then what? Well, you and mom might not hear them. And then what? Well, they might hurt me. And then what? They might kill me and I might die. And then what? I guess I'd go to heaven. Sweet dreams, good night. Sounds good. You have nothing to worry about. It's the game that he played most nights with his son. Great, you're going to heaven. Nothing to worry about, sweet dreams. I'll see you in the morning. Maybe. (laughs) When we seek first the kingdom, and when we have an eternal perspective on this life, whatever you're worried about, we know the and then what. Right? I know that there are real problems that you are facing. I know that there's real pain that you are navigating. I know that there is really scary sicknesses in your life or in the lives of those that you love. I know that we live in a world that is often uncertain and disorienting. But here's the confidence we can have as kingdom people. We know the and then what. And how can we have such a certain and then what? Well, it makes me think about another time that Maybe perhaps a father and a son played and then what? But it went different. God the Father and God the Son. God the Father said, we're going to create the world together. And God the Son said, and then what? Well, it's going to be beautiful and wonderful and operating exactly the way it should. And then what? Well, humanity will rebel and brokenness and sin and death will enter into the world. And then what? I'm going to send you. And you will become a man and you will experience the pain and brokenness of the world that we created that was destroyed by sin. And then what? You will go to a cross. And the hope that we have in the security of our eternity is that that and then what game didn't end there. Because the and then what was you will be raised again to new life, and we will establish the church, and we will return and restore the created world to the new heavens and the new earth. And then what? We will dwell forever with humanity. And then what? Every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be healed. That is our and then what? Because the and then what of the Son of God was to die on the cross for us, to give us a security that could never be threatened. And when that is the perspective that we have in this life, we will begin to be more free from worry. Don't worry about your life. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reality that Jesus Christ experienced the greatest threat that we ever had against us, which was sin and death and eternity separated from you. But Christ experienced the pain and brokenness of this world so that we could experience salvation, so that we could be free from looking for our sense of security in the things of this world that are so temporary, but to be secure in the eternal 
safety that we have in Christ. God, I pray that we would be people who walk through this world with an eternal perspective, that our lives wouldn't be consumed by the things that consume this world, but instead we'd be people who see everything through the lens of eternity, and that would give us an impact in this world that goes way beyond the temporary nature of this world and has an eternal impact. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.